Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Terry Martin. Hello Texas, it is starting to feel like springtime with temperatures in the 70s and 80s across most of Texas over the last couple of days. The planters are rolling, spring planting is here. Thanks so much for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Two Texas congressmen are seeking more help for Texas farmers and ranchers. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have details on Texas Ag today. This is James Duncan and Marshall. We're going to just visit a minute today about the weather being beautiful. Planting time is here. One thing about tornadoes, no one ever considers them timely. But the rains we got out of last weekend's severe storms in the Texas High Plains came right when they were needed. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Two Texas congressmen have introduced a bipartisan bill to help Texas farmers and ranchers hurt by natural disasters in 2020 and 2021. Jessica Domel has more. Congressman Ronnie Jackson and Henry Cuellar introduced H.R. 1692, the Rehabilitating Economic Success Through Rural Emergencies Act, last week. The Restore Act, if passed, would reauthorize the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Wildlife Hurricane Indemnity Program Plus, or WIP Plus, to cover natural disasters from this year and last. Congressman Jackson said the bill will go a long way to support farmers during this tumultuous time as they work to restore their operations after the snow and ice storms that caused more than $600 million in damages in February. He said it will also restabilize our food supply. Congressman Cuellar said he is committed to delivering support to the agriculture industry. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Farmers all across Texas are continuing the recovery efforts following the historic winter storm URI. Brandon LaFere grows lettuce, cabbage, spinach, broccoli, and onions near Batesville. That's in the Texas Winter Garden area. One of the reasons we grow vegetables in this area is because we don't ex- experience these kind of temperatures and these hard freezes that we do. And that means his spring crop is now done. I mean, at this point in time, I mean, we're basically plow everything in. It's kind of late in the game to, you know, start over. So typically our season will last, you know, end of April on majority of our crops. And then, you know, our, our cabbage goes into, you know, late May, June. Season. I mean, at this point in time, I mean, we're, we're, we're here in into March and, and we're done. And so we're basically, you know, cutting two months off of our season. Brandon LaFear of Batesville. The weekend storms in the panhandle were scary, but they did bring some valuable moisture to the area. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. In the aftermath of those storms that produced several reported tornadoes, powerful winds, and large hail, the best news remains the fact that by various accounts, it appears no one was injured. And as to the agriculture side of things, 
early assessments are hopeful. I've talked to several producers in the last few days that, you know, they lost roofs on farms and windows and things like that. And so obviously there's for sure going to be damage and people that were in the direct path of that storm are going to sustain some losses there. But widespread damage, we have not been hearing of that. That's Rachel Myers of Myers Crop Insurance in Claude describing what she's been hearing from around the region. As for damage to what's in the field, not much of a concern there, it seems, as summer crops have yet to be planted. And Myers says winter wheat, by virtue of still being in a vegetative state, should have escaped harm. And the big rains the storms delivered were very timely. As the wheat crop's coming out of dormancy and these warm days are really kicking that wheat off, the snow that we had several weeks ago really kind of helped to get it jump-started. And this is huge for this wheat crop to try to increase its chances for survival. Unfortunately, although we did see a lot of rain for much of the eastern portions of the region, as has been the case all too often over the past year or so, a lot of the west got slighted, such as Deaf Smith County, where Rick Ackerman is an extension agent. Wind took it over east of it, and just from looking at the weather guessers, they were showing on maps and things like that, that we were right on the edge, maybe yes, maybe no. Well, it turned out that we were at 0.001 for moisture content in the county for the most part. Hopefully, the next rain event will be more even-handed. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Spring planting is underway in East Texas. James Duncan reports from Marshall. The big topic around the breakfast table is spring planting time is here in East Texas. Naturally, we do not plant as many row crops as in some other areas of the state, but those that plant are ready to go for corn planting pea planting, whatever comes up, because this sunshine is absolutely beautiful. We love it, and we have survived the storms, and we look forward now to the opportunity to see the grass grow. Cattle producers fared well in the bad weather, not as many losses as had been anticipated. Sunshine looks good in the poultry industry, still have not assessed the damage on the houses, nor in the timber industries. We just have to continue on our way in East Texas. It'll be watermelon planting time soon, and we're looking forward to that also. So just hope that you have a good day in your area. We're looking forward to the springtime in East Texas. This is James Duncan reporting from Marshall for Texas Ag Today. Spring is just around the corner, and it is time to start thinking about controlling parasites in the cow herd. John Hutchison is the director of the Cattle Technical Services team with Merck Animal Health. He joins us today from College Station. And, John, spring will be here before we know it, and it's time to get a parasite control plan in place. You, you bet. You bet, Kerry. No, I think after the winter storm and kind of the big freeze of 2021, I think it's more important to think about worms because they could be, you know, forgotten pretty quickly, right? And so the worms and the parasites are out on our pastures year round. Uh, sometimes their transmission slows down when it gets cold, but, you know, as the weather starts to warm back up, their life cycle will continue. So we need to get ahead of the game. You know, when it comes to cow-calf herds, when you look at timing in this part of the world, if you've dewormed after a first in the fall, then you don't need to deworm until about six to eight weeks after the native grass around here greens up. That's if you treat it after a first frost in the fall. If you did not treat for the fall parasites um, after that frost, then you need to deworm now. That's the time to deworm is get those parasites that are lingering in those calves that have overwintered, unfortunately, 
and get them cleaned up. And then again, six to eight weeks later, then you need to be deworming to have the optimum parasite control. Now, of course, we're talking about a cow herd here, John. What about a stalker operation? What kind of schedule do they need to be on when trying to keep the parasites out of those calves? So, you know, depending on the wheat pasture, if it's been tilled, wheat pasture is going to be our lowest parasite available pastures. So, they're, you know, they're going to be at their lowest level because we've tilled the ground. But what most people forget about is that those wheat pastures are bordered by native pastures. They're bordered by a few tanks. They've got some access to native pasture, and that's where they get their worms. And so you got to be mindful of that unless it's all on tilled country. You know, they're going to get reinfected. And so for those, you know, as you're putting those calves together and you're getting ready to turn them out on whatever that winter wheat or that winter oats are, then you, you want to deworm them at turnout. So you want to for sure deworm them at turnout. And then because they're younger and the life cycle of those parasites are quicker because of their age and their lack of immunity, you're going to want to deworm them at four weeks after turnout and again four weeks later. So they're going to want you're going to want to deworm them at turnout again at four weeks after and then another time four weeks. And that's where we've seen the optimum control and the best productivity from deworming those stalkers when we do that program. Thanks, John. John Hutchison, he's Director of Cattle Technical Services with Merck Animal Health. He's based out of College Station. New legislation introduced in the House and Senate would repeal the estate tax. Michael Clements has the story from Washington. Lawmakers in both the House and Senate Tuesday introduced legislation to repeal the estate tax, a priority for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Pat Wolf, AFBF Senior Congressional Relations Director, says when farms are hit with the estate tax, they often have to sell assets to cover the expense, causing a burden to farmers and ranchers. Right now, the estate tax exemption level is high enough that most farmers and ranchers wouldn't have to pay estate taxes. But there are people on Capitol Hill who want to roll back that exemption and then use that money to pay for their spending priorities. If that were to happen, then the estate tax problem is no longer theoretical. Then it becomes real. Wolf says the legislation in both the House and Senate would repeal the estate tax, preventing estate taxes from becoming a problem for farmers and ranchers. Both the House bill that was introduced by Jason Smith of Missouri and Sanford Bishop of Georgia, that's one Republican, one Democrat, that's a bipartisan bill, and by Senator Thune of South Dakota in the Senate, both of those bills would just flat out repeal the estate tax. It would be gone, and hopefully that would be permanent, and it'd be gone forever. Wolf encourages farmers and ranchers to contact their members of Congress about the legislation. And tell them the impact that estate taxes have on their operation. This bill is a repeat of previous Congresses, so it's being introduced with a lot of supporters already. So if a farmer ranchers members already on the bill, thanks would be in order rather than a request to co-sponsor the legislation. Michael Clements, Washington. Now is the time to weigh in on proposed hunting regulations. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have more coming up. And raising calves can be tricky, especially when weaning them off of milk and onto grain. Dr. Bob Judd has some advice coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Each year, National Ag Day celebrates the important contributions of our country's farms and farm families. Join the Agriculture Council of America and our esteemed industry partners on March 23rd as we thank America's farmers 
for all they provide to our nation and the world. Food brings everyone to the table. Thanks to American Ag. Learn more about Ag Day and the events for March 23rd at agday.org. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Raising baby calves isn't that hard, but it can be a little tricky when you're trying to wean them off of milk and get them onto grain. You've got to be careful making that adjustment. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice. The key to weaning these calves off milk is to do it gradually. Dr. Colleen Jones with Penn State indicates successful transition to a diet of grain and forage requires proper rumen development, and regardless how much milk you are feeding your calves, they will struggle at weaning if the rumen is not ready. The rumen is the largest of the calves' four stomach compartments and is not functional at birth. Rumen development begins when calves start eating solid food as these foods enter the rumen. Calves usually begin eating starter grain at about two weeks of age, so the rumen will be developed by six weeks of age as it takes at least two to three weeks for bacteria to grow and colonize the rumen. If this plan is followed, the calves can be weaned off milk at about six weeks. However, even if weaning is performed later, the same principles apply as gradual feeding of grain must still be used to develop the rumen effectively as rumen development is a function of diet and not age. If the calves are drinking a lot of milk and not eating much grain, their rumen is not ready for weaning and digestive disturbances may occur. Because of this, a gradual decrease in milk production and a gradual increase in grain allows the rumen to adapt before switching feeds, as a lot of calves on large amounts of milk will start eating large amounts of grain and get very sick. Diarrhea and even a decrease in appetite can occur in this situation. It is recommended to start calves on half a pound of grain a day for four weeks, then one pound per day for two weeks, and two pounds per day for one week while still on the milk. Just remember, it requires at least three weeks for the rumen to develop after starting grain. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Now is the time to weigh in on proposed Texas hunting regulations. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is now accepting comments on a few proposed changes to the state's hunting regulations for 2021 and 2022. The proposed changes include adding crossbow to the definition of lawful archery equipment, removing the prohibition on trailing wounded deer in select counties, eliminating the experimental pronghorn season in the northern panhandle, and expanding the general pronghorn season from 9 to 16 days statewide. It would close Panola County to hunting eastern turkey during the spring. It would implement mandatory reporting for spring turkey hunting in the western one gobbler counties in south central Texas. It would add two days of hunting opportunity in the special white-winged dove area within the south dove zone. It would establish season dates and daily bag limits for all migratory game bird hunting seasons. It would modify the muzzle loader definition to clarify only the bullet or projectile must be loaded through the muzzle. It would modify opening day for Chakulakas to be concurrent with quail season. It would align spring and fall turkey hunting seasons with consistent north and south zone boundaries along Highway 90. And it would allow a statewide squirrel hunting season by opening the remaining closed counties to a year-round hunting season. 
The public may comment on the proposed changes online through March 24th. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission will take public comment Thursday, March 25th. TPWD says public comments will be considered before any action is taken at that commission meeting on March 25th. The department's wildlife staff will present proposed hunting regulations and answer questions in webinar at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, March 16th. Details for how to send in public comments and watch that Zoom webinar are available on the TPWD website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was definitely a turnaround Tuesday in the cattle market. We had a higher close on Monday, but Tuesday we lost most of those gains. However, the cotton market did the opposite. It turned around to close higher. We'll take a closer look at all of Tuesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex closed mixed on Tuesday, but we were mostly lower on the nearby contracts. April live cattle dropped 92 cents to close at 118.20. June down 32 at 121.45. The August was up 17 cents, closing at 121 even. In the feeder cattle, same thing. With the nearby's lower, March down 45 cents, 136.57. April feeders down 60 at 143.32. May feeder cattle unchanged, 149.72. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on Tuesday. The feedlots are pricing cattle this week at 116 to 117 on a live basis. No bids reported so far from the Packers. Of course, we've had a steady market at 114 for the last six weeks. Boxed beef prices higher on Tuesday choice up at dollar seventy six two twenty six fifty three select up seventy three cents at two eighteen seventy eight. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear my cowboy crew riding hard on a Tuesday, they're headed up to Milam County there on the Little River to help Kenny Mingus distribute cattle all over his region of Texas. Kenny, how the Friday sale go? Well, it went good, Larry. We had a total of 1,289 cattle, and I would say the market was pretty good all the way around. Let's walk those pins. All right, we'll start with the steers under 300, 161 to $2. Three to 400-pound steers, 143 to 212 and a half. Four to 500-pound steers, 129 to 205. And over 582 to $1.85. On the heifers under 300, 134 to 190. Three to 400-pound heifers, 121 to 160. Four to 500-pound heifers, 110 to 150. And over 570 to $1.42. Packer cow about steady from 25 to 66. Packer bulls 70 to 90. And the stocker cows, when you break
red cows from 500 to 1150 and on the cow calf pairs from six and a quarter to 2400 sounds like you had a pretty good sale what was the count 1289 what are you anticipating this next friday i think we'll be about steady you know i don't i don't think it's a time of year that we're gonna you know run a tremendous amount of numbers due to the the grass that's here and it's coming and and people are in the fields and and it's just time for our numbers to be a little shorter but uh, i think we'll have somewhere a thousand twelve hundred hadn't had many calls yet uh this week Got a few deals lined up, 35 from a couple of different people. But other than that, that's about it right now. Uh, do have a few things coming up in April scheduled. So uh, be looking at our Facebook page, and uh, we'll keep you all posted on that. Tell everybody how to contact you, Kenny Mingus. You bet. We're at the office from about 9 to 3, Monday through Wednesday at 254-697-6697. You can follow us on our webpage at milemcountylivestockauction.com or catch us on Facebook. We appreciate it, and we'll speak with you before that next sale. Thank you, Larry. Have Thank a great you. day. Neighbor, that was Kenny Mingus from Milam County Livestock Auction Camp. Cameron, Texas, they sell them a variety. I'm Larry Marble for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs. were sharply higher on Tuesday. April hogs up 235, 92.90. May hogs up 210 and 95.12. Class 3 milk was mixed. March up a penny, 16.35 a hundredweight. April milk down 13 at 17.39. The cotton market closed slightly higher in a quiet, lackluster trade. Not a lot of news to move the cotton market right now. However, we'll take a higher close, especially after the beating the market took last week. We closed with May cotton up 20 points, 86.92. July cotton up 15 at 87.91. New crop December cotton up 10, 83.65 cents. The wheat market was down as much as 15 cents early in the trading session on Tuesday. However, we recovered to close steady to higher. And that is some good news, especially given the fact that we've got some bearish news in the market right now because of all of the precipitation that we've received over the Great Plains. We've gotten good precipitation from West Texas all the way up to the Dakotas. So that's definitely a bearish factor in the wheat market right now. We overcame that to close with July Kansas City wheat up three quarters. 6 12 and a half july chicago wheat was unchanged at 637 a bushel the corn market mixed old crop higher new crop lower may corn up four and three quarters 554 and a quarter december corn down a penny 477 and three quarters checking the energy markets april natural gas up seven cents at 255 april crude oil down 67 64 72 a barrel the financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 97 points, 32,855. The Nasdaq up 25, 13,484. The S&P 500 down 2 at 3,966. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.